It's great to be uh, here with you on the first Sunday of the new year. And as uh, we were reflecting earlier, we're ready for a new year, aren't we? <laughs> I'm hoping and praying this is going to be a, a really good one for you personally and for the life of the Church of Jesus in our country. I'm praying that this is going to be a year where we will be at our best and that we'll continue to be able to provide a witness to the love and the light of Jesus Christ. That theme of the light that shines in the darkness and that the darkness does not overcome is captured very much in a tradition that goes way, way, way back uh, through the centuries uh, called Epiphany. And uh, sometimes we'll talk about having an epiphany, a wake-up, uh, where suddenly we see the light in some important respect. Uh, well, it dates to a, a particular celebration that, that the church observed back in ancient times. Uh, it was usually around the 6th of January that it was marked. But it was a purposeful remembrance of when the wise men, the magi in the biblical story, uh, encountered the glory of the light of Christ. That, um, that the Gentile world, in a sense, the non-Jewish world, was introduced to uh, the light of God's love in a very special way. Now, I want to read, if I may, uh, from Matthew's gospel, the second chapter of Matthew, because it tells this particular story that is at the heart of the Epiphany a tradition. And I want to just unpack it very briefly um, for our reflection. After they had heard King Herod, the wise men, the magi, uh, went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. I just love this little part. I want to pause here for a second because what this really is suggesting is that if we look for it, we will be given the light we need to find our way into the presence of Christ. That, that God has not left this world, any of us, without signs that will lead us to, to him. And uh, as he did that with the, with the wise men from the east, so also he longs to do that for every person, to help them find their way uh, to him. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, the text says. And on coming to the house, and it's important detail here because we're no longer at the manger. This is, an, this is an encounter with Jesus when he's grown up a little bit older. Mary, Joseph, and the child are now living in a house. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And now that is striking. Their first encounter with the Christ child, and, and it's not coochie-coo, it's, oh my God. <laughs> and, and they fall down and, and they acknowledge uh, their humility before the presence of this one. Um, and what a wonderful way to start a new year is to, is to find ourselves also in that posture. And we'll talk more about that theme in just a moment. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts. So the, the response to the glory of who this child is, is they want now to do something to honor this one, and they do it with gift giving, like we've just done uh, at Christmas time. 
And, and they give him three gifts here, and, and these are really symbolic gifts, gold, incense, and myrrh. Now, it would not have been apparent to any of those guys who made these gifts at this particular time how appropriate those gifts were. Because gold was the symbol for a king. And maybe in, in some sense they got this. This was going to be um, the king of the Jews. They had some sense of that. They give him uh, incense or frankincense, which was a, a special um, incense that was burned in temples around the world as a sign of prayer to God. Uh, it was... Um, it was a, a symbol of, 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 mediate, of mediation, of connection with God, and how appropriate that was. This, he is the king of all kings that they're meeting, this child, and he is going to become the mediator between heaven and earth. He is going to become the one uh, through whom we can come to God in prayer and come to God in relationship. Uh, that incense image is a powerful one. And then myrrh, myrrh is the third gift, and myrrh is, is, an, is it a, a, a particular substance that you, that's used to anoint someone for burial. Now, that's really kind of a weird thing. You give a, a gift that has to do with burial to a newborn. You know, why? Uh, well, who knows why they did, except it was precious and expensive and, and, and may have been, been regarded as a, as a valuable gift. But how appropriate to one who is going to accomplish his ministry by dying for the sake of the world, by giving up his life, by being buried and descending into hell, and then on the third day, being raised to new life uh, to defeat the power of sin and death and to, and to win the future for the whole human race. Um, so what, what an incredibly symbolic gifts these are. And then having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Why couldn't they go back to Herod? Herod had just said, hey, let me know where he is. Let me know where the child is because I want to go and worship him. Because Herod is really only a fake worshiper. He's worshiping himself. He's honoring himself above all. And the wise men get this and they choose to avoid further contact with Herod. So that's the word of the Lord. Um, I could probably sit down at this point. That's a helpful little Bible study, I hope. But I want to share with you just a few more thoughts on this first Sunday of the year. And I want to continue with that idea of gifts, of gifts. I, I was uh, brushing my teeth this morning, and I, I was watching, as I often do on Sunday mornings before coming to the church building, uh, Willie Geist on NBC interviewing people. And I love these uh, different interviews, and he shows these fun little clips. And, and the, the theme in, in one of the segments this morning was, the, was gifts that blew us away. Gifts that we got this Christmas that kind of created a super wow for us. And, uh, and, and one of the clips was of a, of a dad and a son who, I guess, got the new Halo game and like just went apoplectic with joy. I mean, they were just so excited at this particular gift that they, they had been, been given. And I started thinking, you know, is there, is there, a, gift, is there a gift that I could describe to you that, that created for me a, a big amount of joy this past Christmas? And you might be thinking about, is there one gift that you received that did that for you? Well... I will tell you that for me, one of the ones that, that one of the great joys of this Christmas season was this season, uh, we got in our home a brand new Weber Summit Grill Center. 
And it replaced a 20, more than 20-year-old uh, grill that had sort of begun to really rust out. Um, served our family well for these uh, many, many, many years. But this new grill was like a serious upgrade, okay? I mean, it has these, uh, it has these, uh, uh, l these, LED lit knobs, so you can, even in the darkness, you can, you can work this thing. It has, it has these incredible chrome polished accents that you can see your reflection in. It's almost like a jewel sitting on our, on our porch. It, it, it has this phenomenal burner on the side where you can put it in a wok and you can kind of cook up the stir fry as you're barbecuing the meat. And the other side, it's got this little pop-up rotisserie motor so that you can, you can cook the, the, the chickens uh, in, in the most amazing way. It has way more surface area than our last grill. And, and and as my son and I are putting this thing together on Monday, I'm thinking to myself, this changes everything. I mean, wow, think of what this is going to be like. I'm just imagining all of the mouth-watering meals I'm going to prepare and how Amy will be looking at me with pride as I'm cooking these fabulous meals and our friends and neighbors gathering around and enjoying the feast. I'm thinking, wow, this is like a game changer. I may have to leave the church and get my own cooking show. You know, these are the, the visions of sugar plums dancing in my head, right? So that's Monday. Wednesday, I burned the chicken so badly on that grill. I mean, it, it, it wasn't like a fully burnt offering in the sense of going up to heaven, but it was bad. I mean, the, the, the chicken was so dry and so hard, I would not have wanted to serve it to Jesus. Uh, I would not have wanted to give that as one of my gifts uh, to Jesus or almost to anybody else. In fact, I kind of put it away and I've just been snacking on it on the side. And, 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 and I'm thinking to myself, it hits me, maybe it wasn't a cooking technology upgrade I really needed. Maybe what I needed to upgrade was me as a cook. Maybe that was the deeper need. I think it's probably not just me, I think it's probably human nature to look for the improvement of our life in terms of things we find out there. You know, think about this uh, for yourself. Uh, think of the times you said, I'll join that gym. You know, I'll get, the, I'll get that Peloton and, and, you know, this will change everything. Or, or I'll get that new job, or, or I'll trade in that boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse, or, 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 or I'll alter or move to this new place, and everything will be better because of that. How many advertisers or dating apps or politicians are claiming at any given time to be offering us the this that changes everything? How many of us are always looking for that fix and, and hoping to find it out there somehow? I just think this is part of what it means to be a human being. And because of that, the Apostle Paul, uh, one of the most famous followers of Jesus, long ago, um, write, writes to his society. He writes to a, a group of, of followers of Christ uh, in his society in the capital city of Rome, a very powerful city, the greatest city in the world at that point. 
and, and he recognizes how prone they are to, to, to seeking and selling quick fixes for things. And he wants to sort of challenge that. Um, so this is what he, he advises in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the quick fix, external fix pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, in other words, if you want to experience real change, and often at the very start of a new year, right? That's what we're looking for. We want to see some change. We want something to be different about this year. If you want that to happen, don't start by looking for it out there in the world, but begin by pursuing it through a change in here, through a change in your mind or your mindset. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, is what Paul says. He challenges the people. Offer yourself, not your trinkets, not your little bit, not your leftover, not your excess, not your surplus. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, as a living gift to God. Uh, fully turn your life over to God, is what Paul says. And I want to challenge us to do this at the start of this new year. Whatever the history was in the past, God, I give you my life this year. I really give you my life more fully this year. Um, and ask him to renew the way you think, to transform you by the renewing of your mind. And, and when you read uh, in the New Testament um, a reference to thinking or to the mind, it doesn't just mean thoughts or cognition. It also means feelings. And the way that the, that the, the Jewish mind um, or the Jewish people thought of it was thoughts and feelings were the mind. Um, it wasn't just sort of an intellect thing. Uh, so ask God to renew the way you think, which is to say the way you see the world, the way you feel about the world, the way you react at what is coming at you. Let God renovate your mindset and things will change. Are you with me so far? This is sort of the big, big idea Paul's offering here. I think of a, of, a, of a confession of sorts that was once made by um, a famous Christian author and, um, and speaker and pastor by the name of Lee Strobel. Some of you have heard of Lee Strobel. He wrote The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for the Resurrection, The Case for a lot of things. Uh, Strobel was an, had been an atheist. He, he had been a... Um, he had done a lot of law. He had been at Yale Law School. He, had, he was uh, doing journalism for the Chicago Tribune. Um, and he was one of those people that didn't, you know, really, that didn't find the light that led him to Jesus for a little longer in his life than, than some people. And he tells this story of his experience of transformation that I want to recount to you today. He says, and this is his words, My daughter Allison was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus. And all she had known in those five years was a dad who was profane and angry. I came home one night and I kicked a hole in the living room wall just out of anger with life. I am ashamed of the number of times, when I think of the number of times that Allison ran and hid in her room because her father had come home. Whew. You can imagine, right, how 
how good Lee Strobel, you know, Chicago Tribune, well-educated, looked to the people that saw him and met him as acquaintance. They would have been really impressed with the guy. What was really going on inside of him? A mess. A lot of anger, a lot of confusion in his life. So much so that he unwittingly terrorized his five-year-old daughter with his anger. Um, and then Strobel continues the story. He says, five months after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that little girl went to my wife and she said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. Five years old, she says this. What was she saying, asks Strobel. She never studied theology. She never studied the archaeological evidence for, for the reliability of the Bible. All she knew was that her dad used to be this way, which is to say hard and difficult to live with. But more and more, her dad is becoming this other way. And she thinks if that is what God does to people, then sign her up. And at age five, she gave her life to Jesus. Little Allison did. Strobel concludes by saying, I tell you, God changed my family. God changed my world. He changed my eternity. Now, I, I, I tell you that little story for a couple of reasons, but one of which is because chances are there is some part of your life your internal life that is not working as fully well or healthily as you would like it to. Maybe it's an anger problem for you. Maybe it's a forgiveness problem. Maybe it's an addiction problem. Maybe it's a, a, a fear or an or a, or a anxiety or depression. Or, I, I don't know what it might be, but maybe your life is, is tangled up, me, messed up, you know, sort of knotted up a bit like the, the sort of the, that knotted string that you see at the left-hand side of the logo for this series. Um, maybe there's some part of your world that works like that. Could be a relationship that's, that's struggling. Well, God's desire is to help with that. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God's desire is to build a great, to transform the things that are not working into things that are working, that are healthy and whole and helpful, that, 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 that are good for you, that, that glorify God, that bless the, the five-year-old in your family or other people that you're influencing. That's what God wants to do. That's what he is all about. And so, so if God you know, was approaching the start of this new year with even more energy than you have, he's thinking this, this could be a great year for you for Dan. This could be a great year. Um, the question is, how does that happen? How does that unraveling and that renewing and that better quality of purpose in life, how does this happen for us? Well, I'm so glad you asked because that's what we're going to talk about in the series. Uh, because we're going to start this year by thinking together on six mindsets, six ways of approaching life that can make a, a transformative difference if we, if we integrate them 
into our practice in a, in a deeper way in the years ahead. It can really change the quality of our life and our relationships in some wonderful ways. Now let me just quickly acknowledge that some of you are gonna recognize uh, these particular mindsets because they are described in terms of the six ministry values that we have on banners around our church buildings here in Oak Brook and over at our Butterfield campus. So you might recognize um, the words here at least. Um, but let me just say that these mindsets are relevant whether you've been hanging around here a long time or whether you are visiting, maybe just checking in online for the very first time today. Um, if, if you will lean into these mindsets that we're gonna be talking about over these next weeks, it, it can be a game changer for you. Because as you change, your view changes, you will begin to live in a way that helps other people uh, towards the changes that they are seeking in their life. And we're gonna break these six mindsets down into pairs that we're gonna cover two at a time over a three-week period. I'm gonna hit just two of the six today, the first two, but the two I'm gonna to touch on as the other pairs are tightly related. They're really tightly related. Um, so think about these two values I'm gonna talk about as sort of like the right side and the left side of your brain. Now, let me, let me ask this question, just a quick quiz question. Would you say that, you're, that the left hemisphere or the right hemisphere of your brain is really important to you? The smart answer is yes. Yeah, the smart answer is I, need I want both sides to be working really well and relating to each other really well because I know that is what leads to the greatest kind of function. Uh, that's the greatest kind of health. Same thing with these two mindsets or values that we're gonna be talking about. You want both of them functioning really, really well in your life because the interaction between the two of them is synergistic and is very productive, as we'll get, you'll get a sense of before we close today. Uh, so let me just give you the first one of these mind shifts, if I may. And um, if you want to make life all it can be as you move into this new year, then pursue authentic worship. Develop a mindset, a purposeful mindset, that, that, that exalting and enjoying God is your life's greatest purpose and pleasure. That exalting and enjoying God is your life's great purpose and pleasure. Now I think that a lot of, of us get tangled up in life or confused or struggle more than we perhaps need to because we lack an ultimate purpose or a dependable source of joy, pleasure, to, to focus our lives around. Uh, and because we lack this kind of prime directive, that prime uh, focus, we have this tendency to race every which way, trying to find significance in this thing or that thing, or, 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 or trying to find satisfaction with that object or, or that other object. And there is such incredible relief and great clarity that comes to us when we finally figure out that the greatest purpose and pleasure of life is not found in all of these some things, 
but in a devotion, a singular devotion to a someone that everything resolves for us when we find that someone that is our purpose and pleasure. Uh, Many, many years ago, uh, there were a group of theologians that gathered in uh, Westminster, England, and they wrote something called the Westminster Creed. And there was a little question and answer um, version of this for popular digestion, uh, and it was called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it was a list of questions and answers, questions and answers that sort of unpacked the, the most important ideas about life. And the very first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism was, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of humanity, is what it was saying in archaic language. What is it? The answer that they gave was, the chief end of man, the chief purpose of humanity, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To exalt him and to enjoy him forevermore. Now, this is the idea that I want us to sit with again today. And I know this may not be new to some of you. For some of you, it may be very, very new. But it is this idea that we do not have to search for our purpose and pleasure. That we don't have to waste our energy doing that, wondering about that. We have been created for a purpose and for a particular kind of pleasure. We've been created to exalt God with all that we are and to enjoy him for all that he is. The difference between authentic worship and fake worship has a lot to do with that word all. We have been created to exalt God with all that we are and for all that he is. And, and, and And authentic worship is about the all and fake worship is about a lot less than the all. For example, if just my body is going to a church service, if I am only partly present in the worship activity because I really need to know what the phone is saying and what the texts are asking or talking about, if I am online and I have gotten in the habit of multitasking while I worship, I'm talking to some of you, um, because I get it, I've been like this when I'm at home. Um, If I'm divided in these ways, what is that really saying about my worship? How authentic is my worship? Authentic worship (laughs) is the act of, of giving to God and seeking from God all that he is truly worth. Um, in fact, the word worship originally came from, from, from the term worth-ship. Worth-ship. Worship was the act of, of giving God what he was worth and looking to draw from God who and all of his worthiness, to, to draw into ourselves, to enjoy all that he was worth. So, Let me try and put it in in terms even closer to where most of us live. How many of you have ever seen a couple rapturously in love? I think you probably have. You've probably seen them. You've watched them across the restaurant at the table looking into each other's eyes, right? 
Um, one of our kids got married a year ago today. And Cole and Heather look at each other that way. You know, especially at the start was this just this incredible rapturous love. They just, you know, locked onto each other. They just, they just drank each other in. They just wanted to be filled up with each other. They, they couldn't stop asking questions to learn more about the other, to hear more of that person's feelings and their passions and their interests and their priorities and, and, to, and to try and reflect those things in the way they lived their lives. They didn't want to miss a single thing that the other person really had to offer. They wanted to know more about them so they knew what would be that person would want them to offer to them, you, this is the way rapturous love works uh, between people. You're never finished describing the things that you admire, that you're grateful for. In short, you sense what the other is worth. Does that make sense to you? You've had that experience, some of you? Now picture the couple who sits at a restaurant after a lot of years together, and their nose is in their device or in their newspaper, and they hardly ever talk. Have you seen that? Did you think to yourself, oh, it's, that's so sweet how comfortable they are with each other? Maybe. Or did you think, ah, oh, that's too bad. It's too bad because you, you know that mealtimes are for communion as much as for calories. And you think to yourself, wow, they've lost their first love. They're no longer all in, in the way that love is supposed to work. Here's the truth I want to impress upon you. God never stops being passionate about you or about me. He never stops being concerned for our well-being and wanting to work for our good. Uh, he, is, he is still all in with regards to us. And, 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 the, and the concern that Jesus had as he grew up and he started working with people in his world was that, that, that people had forgotten with what a great love they had been loved. That they had taken for granted this amazing being who was their source in life and their, their redeemer and their sustainer. That, and, and Jesus wanted to wake people up and, and call people back into the kind of communion that, that all of the best things of life come from. And so Jesus says at one point, Love the Lord your God with all, what's the word? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, said Jesus. This is the number one purpose and pleasure of life. This is the thing you want to go after <laughs> with, his, with everything you have is this kind of a love relationship with God. Our great purpose and pleasure in life is to exalt God as the worthy creator and redeemer and sustainer he is. Our, our calling is to praise him and his attributes in a never-ending fascination with who he is. Our calling is to seek and to will for his will to actually be done on earth. 
It's to try and live every single day so that it brings a smile to his face. It, it lights him up just to see us walking through this world. The psalmist puts it this way. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Be rapturously in love with this great God as he is passionately in love with you. I, um, I also think that we're called to enjoy God. Uh, we're, we're called to enter into this communion in a, in a way that not just brings him pleasure and glory, but brings us pleasure and benefit. And, and I love the way that William Temple, who's the former Archbishop of Canterbury Cathedral in England, the way he puts it. And I want you to look at this. Worship, he says, is the submission of our nature to God's being. It's the submission of our nature to God's being. And when we gather for worship, that's part of what we're trying to do. You know, the, the worship leaders are calling us to, to, to rise and to sing and to just open ourselves up to God, is to submit ourselves to It's kind of like being a, you're, you're a paperclip and you, you put yourself up against a super magnet and it realigns all of the molecules in you to the nature of that super magnet. Worship is the act of placing ourselves up against God and saying, God, make me like you. Make my nature, I submit my nature to your great nature. Worship is the quickening of our conscience by his holiness. We, we grow dead over time. We're out in the world and everything's, you know, things are, hypocrisy is tolerated and, and, and tremendous compromise of principles are allowed and, and impurities and all that stuff. We, we sort of lose a sense of clarity about what is truly good. And then we come into contact with God's holiness in worship. And it, and it purifies us and renews us in important ways. Worship is the nourishment of our mind with his truth. Our minds are hungry for truth, for principles, for reality, for dependable things to, to base our lives on. And in worship, we, we find that. I hope you're finding it today. I hope there's something I'm saying that's, you know, that's, uh, that's nourishing. You know? I hope you get more than burnt chicken breasts here today, is what I'm saying. Worship is the purifying of our imagination by his beauty, says Temple. It's the opening of our heart to his love. It's the surrender of our will to his purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration. I love that. I just love that beautiful description of what worship's about. Have you ever heard of, of something called a keystone habit? A keystone habit? A keystone habit is a particular behavior which if you undertake it, changes everything. Uh, I was reading, a, 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 saw a, a, a little piece that, that talked about somebody who's, who's, whose life was very disorganized and there were all kinds of issues in life and he just took up the keystone habit of, of running for 15 minutes a day. And that little change began to build disciplines and confidence and greater health and other things that just had this multiplier effect in his life, ripple effect in his life. There's a book out there now called Just Make Your Bed. 
saying that just the act of, the, of making your bed is a keystone habit. And it, once you have that discipline of order, it begins to, to, to bleed into other areas of your life where you start to develop a greater sense of, of clarity and order. If there was one keystone habit to recommend to you for life that would change everything, it's authentic worship. It's the keystone habit for, for, for life. Um, because it, it is how we come to see ourselves properly, God properly, other people properly. It's how God's character rubs off on us and, and, and becomes our character and how his priorities become our priorities and how his, how his power and his peace become our daily moment-by-moment moment strength. Worship is the keystone habit that helps this happen everywhere else in our lives. Uh, some of you have heard the name G.K. Chesterton. He wrote the Detective Brown novels. Uh, he was a, also a journalist, a British journalist, and uh, a theologian. And he remarked that it's not a minor problem when authentic worship fades in the life of an individual or a nation. It's not a small problem when the practice of authentic worship fades for an individual or for a people. Uh, he says, when we cease to worship God, when we seek, cease to truly worship God, we do not worship nothing. We worship anything. When we lose that focus, our focus can go anywhere in life. And we can start to OCD and obsess and give ourselves to stuff that just has none of the power to satisfy our true need of purpose, our true need of the deepest kind of pleasure. Um, so it's a problem when worship becomes fake or fragmented. It's not good for the individual or the nation. In fact, the dominant cult, C-U-L-T, the dominant cult of who or what is being worshiped in a society determines the culture. What kind of culture do you think we have right now? What are we really worshiping? What are we really seeking as our greatest purpose and pleasure? Do we want that? Do we just need a better object, a someone to truly worship? I will suggest to you that there's no practice you and I can undertake in this year ahead that is more important to us personally and to our country and world, if we care about them at all, maybe even to our own families, there's no practice more important than authentically worshiping the one who is God, the one who Jesus introduces us to. So, as we start the new year, I wanna invite you to renew, to let God renew your mind about worship. Uh, if you've been seeing it as an obligation, as a, as a task to be checked off, as a place that you just go, make a conscious shift. Choose to see exalting and enjoying God as your life's great purpose and pleasure. I hope you'll do that not just when we're here together in this kind of a circle. Communal worship, very important. Really hope we'll, we'll lean into that together. But, but exalt and enjoy him wherever you go as well. Out in his creation, uh, wherever you go. Um, I was uh, reading recently about a, a, a group of business people who were on their way going, and as we all do, 
And in this particular case, they were coming back from a sales convention. And they uh, were passing through a, a major American airport, and they were late for their flight, and they were like flying down the, the terminal. Um, and one of them, as they're going by, um, a table jostles this table with his, his, his hip unintentionally. And um, it upsets a stack of apples that were on that table. They had been piled up in a pyramid shape on this table. And um, the apples broke formation and began to roll uh, around and off the table and bang onto the floor and just go around. And people were kicking them as the crowd was rushing by. Well, this group of business people, they were in a hurry. And, and, if, and I don't think the guy that nudged the table even really noticed it. Maybe somebody behind him noticed the chaos that that had created. But they had a flight to catch as they kept going. One of the business people stopped because he noticed that behind the table was standing a girl, about 16 years old, who had been tending to the little sales venue there, and she was now in a terrible state of distress. And, and she had dropped down to her knees and was flailing around on the floor for the apples. And it was only by looking very carefully that the business guy realized, oh, she's blind. She can't even find them to get them back. And there are tears streaming down her face. And so he, he puts down his, his, his case, his, his carry-on, and he gets down on his hands and knees and he begins alongside of her. He's, he's scooping up and getting up and grabbing these apples and, and bringing them back and, and helping to reorganize them on the table. He notices that some of them are bruised and battered because they hit the ground and they've gotten kicked. And, and so he sets those aside into another pile. And when he's all finished, the man grabs his wallet, pulls it out, leafs out two 20s, stuffs them into the hand of the girl and says, I'm so sorry for what happened to you. Here's $40 to help pay for this damage. Are you okay? And this time, tears well up in the girl's eyes, but not the bad kind. And she nods, lip trembling. And the businessman glances at his watch and realizes he has to go and pats her on the arm and starts going down the corridor again when he hears the voice of the girl say, Mister! Mister! And he turns around and he looks back into those eyes hunting for light and he hears her say, Are you Jesus? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his followers to change their mindset about themselves and their role in the world. Jesus said, in effect, you are not fishermen. You are not just fishermen. You are not just saleswomen. You are not just school teachers. You are not just governmental workers. You are not just business people. You are not just students. Start thinking of yourselves as the light of the world. 
You're the light of the world. You are somebody I have put on this planet to bring the light of my love, the light of my life, the light of my wisdom, the light of my kingdom's way to anybody who's in darkness. In fact, Jesus said, and I quote, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Live in such a way that it witnesses to who my heart for people. Live that way so that it witnesses that they may glorify your Father and witness in a way that leads people to worship. That's what I want you to do. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In the town where you live, in your wider region, in that neighborhood you don't want to go to, and to the very ends of the earth, you're going to bring my light. You are the light of the world meant for those spaces. As you start this new year, and I do too, we're going to be going back to our familiar places and routines. We're going to go back to school, to our workplace, someplace else. Have this mindset in you if you're a follower of Jesus. My life's great purpose and pleasure, my number one calling, my number one pursuit is to exalt and enjoy God. Have that mindset. But my most important mission wherever I go, my big job is to be an attractive witness Living to draw other people to Jesus is my personal daily mission. I said earlier that each of these pairs of mindsets we're going to be looking at are related to each other. They're, they're like two hemispheres of a single brain working together. Think about this. You won't have much to witness to if you're not authentically worshiping. You won't even know who and what it is that you're witnessing to if you're not authentically worshiping. And your worship won't matter much to the one we're called to worship if it's not making you a more attractive witness wherever you go. Witness is worship walking. Witness is just worship walking. If you're interested in knowing more about the topic, I've written a whole book on it. It's called Witness Essentials. And and it might make a good study in this new year for you or a small group you're part of. It is the way that you reflect the glory of God, the God you worship, and help other people to experience the light of his grace, truth, and love in practical ways. That's what witness is. So here's my question in closing. What if all of us lived all of the time in such a way in this new year that at least one person genuinely asked of you, are you Jesus? Have you been with him? Can you help me to know him in the life-changing way I see happening in you? 
I think that if all of us set our mind on being a more authentic worshiper and a more attractive witness, this could start to change everything. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for bringing us into this circle with you and each other today. Enrapture us afresh, we pray, with the glory, the splendor of who you are and illumine opportunities for us to share your light with everyone we can. We know we will not do this perfectly. And we're thankful that you care for us even though you know we won't. But each of us resolves from this day forward to worship and witness more personally. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.